Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Tamarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militangina Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance. My spiritual master opened my eyes with a torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. goodness. Krishna. Today we are looking at Srimad Bhagavatam, 8th Canto, Chapter 24, Matsya, the Lord's Fish Incarnation. Text number 30. Nati Ravindaksha Padopa Sarpanam Mrishabhavit Sarva Surit Priyatmanaha Yeti tari shang pritag atmanang satam. Adidrisho yadvapura adbhutang inaha. O my Lord, possessing eyes like the petals of a lotus, the worship of the demigods who are in the bodily concept of life is fruitless in all respects. But because you are the supreme friend and dear most super soul, of every one. Worship of your lotus feet is never useless. You have therefore manifested your form as a fish. Purport by his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada Kija. Okay, we're going to do a purport. It's too bad the kids have to go because this is going to be very interactive. Oh, is that okay? Hey, great. Okay. Uh, we're going to charade through this uh, purport, and everybody can participate. It's about a page long, and I'll just act it out. I'll mime it out. You guess the word, okay? Okay. So speak loud, and it could be anybody. It could be the kids. It could be anybody. Okay. Purport. Here we are. The demigods are like Indra, Chandra, and Surya. They are ordinary living entities who are differentiated parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality of God. The Lord expands himself through the living beings. Nicho Nichanam Chaitanas Chaitananam His personal Vishnu Tattva forms which are all spiritual are called Swangsha. And the living entities, who are differentiated parts, are called Vibhanamsha. Some of the Vibhanamsha forms are spiritual, and some are a... Combination. Combination of matter and... Spirit. Yes, Haribo. The conditioned souls in the 
material world are different from their external bodies made of energy. This is energy. <laughs> Thus, the demigods, yes, living in the upper planetary systems and the living entities living in the lower planetary system are of the same nature. Nonetheless, nonetheless, those living as human beings on this planet are some times attracted to worshipping the demigods in the higher planetary systems. Such worship is temporary as the human beings on this planet have to they have to change they have to change their bodies in due course of time as stated in Bhagavad Gita Andhavattupalam desham tadvavattalpamedasam men of small intelligence Worship the and their their fruits are limited and temporary. Those who do not know the position of the demigods are inclined to worship the demigods for some material purpose. But the results of such worship are never permanent. Consequently, here it is said, Yatetarisham Pritag Atmanam Satam Padho Vasarpanam Murshavavet. In other words, words, yes. If one, one is to worship some someone else, he must worship the Supreme Personality of God. Yeah. Then his worship will never, never be fruitless. Fruitless. dharmasya prayate mahaprabhayat. Calm. This is a tricky one. Accepted. Whoa, there you go. Someone said for you. 
<clears throat> because worship in terms of the body is temporary, it does not... Okay, this is Shiva. We're in Canada now. Bear. Bear. Yeah. <laughs> it does not bear any permanent fruit. But worship of the Supreme Personality of God gives immense benefit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the third word. If anybody wants to, they can slide forward. I feel lonely. Okay, I'll read the verse one more time. Oh, my Lord, possessing eyes like the petals of a lotus, the worship of the demigods who are in the bodily concept of life is fruitless in all respects. But because you are the supreme friend and dear most super soul of everyone, worship of your lotus feet is never useless. You are therefore, you have manifested your form as a fish. So this chapter from the Bhagavatam is uh, related to the story, the pastime of the Lord who comes as a fish. So that's very, you know, interesting that the Lord will go through such lengths and measures to uh, go into an aquarium, so to speak, and, let's say, be in our midst. The reason for this, of course, is like all avatars, and that's a popular word these days, all avatars, they come here from a higher plane into this lower plane to reach out, to reach out and to deliver the conditioned souls. The conditioned souls are mentioned here as <clears throat> svangsha. Svangsha refers to another term as jiva tattva. Uh, tattva is truth, uh, the truth or the life of you know what is in this world. And that is all these individual living beings, all of us who are struggling in this world like anything. And then there's a, so that's plural living beings, eternal living beings. There's another living being who is of the Vishnu Tattva category, and the term for that is given, anybody know? Vibhananksha. And uh, that's Vishnu Tattva. <clears throat> Two kinds of living beings. And then, if you want to break it up even a little bit more, amongst the conditioned living beings who are in this world, there are two types. There are those who are actually very conditioned and struggling with the six senses, including the mind. And then there are living entities, not conditioned, but who are free, who are liberated. And they are there to pick up, pluck out from the material world at the ocean of material existence, the living entities that are struggling here. So two kinds of living beings. And um, just like those liberated souls, the Lord will sometimes choose to take some form which might be appropriate for the occasion and come to deliver. So just like we all kind of like dress for an occasion, um, you all had a choice to come here to the temple to dress in whatever attire you like, but you chose, you know what's appropriate, to wear devotional attire. But if you're going to do some other kind of work, like say you work at a bank, at least up to this point, at this time, 
place. People don't appreciate dotis and saris and tilak and all that. The day will come when they will appreciate it. But anyways, you're dressed for the occasion. Isn't that right? So just like sometimes people, they maybe you get a call and it's kind of like a, a come-as-you-are party. So when the person calls you, and says, whatever you're dressed in that, you must come in. And that can be embarrassing sometimes. But you dress for the occasion. <clears throat> and so the Supreme Lord also dresses for the occasion. He comes in many, many different forms of life. Practically all the species of life. And you know what's really nice about that? Is that because he does come in the form of a fish, a tortoise, a, you know, a lion, etc., etc., that gives some kind of sacredness to the other forms of life. It means that we cannot necessarily exploit the other living beings that are outside of the human frame. And that has been a theology that has pervaded in certain parts of the world for a few centuries. That uh, because humans have a soul and animals don't, maybe you've heard that theology. Therefore, this justifies our killing, our eating, etc., etc. So you see what I'm saying here? That Krishna decides to take on different forms of life so we can respect those different forms of life. Now when Krishna comes as the form of a fish, it's not an ordinary fish. This is one that just happens to grow. And he just gets really big. He starts off as a little fish, and he just expands to, you know, unfathomless proportions to something that, well, a little pond cannot handle. I, I understand there's a lake down the road here. If you take Fairview and I forget the name of the street, you take it to the end, and it is a lake. Prabhupada walked along this lake over here. And there's a very rich fellow over there. Prabhupada suggested to the devotees, that's the man for some money. <laughs> so donation. But anyways, that lake, which is sizable enough, uh, could not accommodate Matsya, as we are to understand. Matsya is the fish incarnation. He made contact with a king, this fish, the Lord King. Usually when we hear the stories from the Bhagavatam and the other Puranas, uh, the Lord makes contact with, well, practically anybody, but usually it's Brahmins and Kshatriyas. His communication is most, let's say, frequented with those people in those categories. For instance, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, part of the Mahabharata. Krishna speaks to Arjuna, who's a Kshatriya. <clears throat> the message, of course, is for everyone. So here's a king, and he's taking a bath, and he just picks up some water, and he cups some water, puts it in his hand, and then inside is a little fish. That's easy to understand. I think we've all done that before, taking a bath somewhere. Is there anybody that goes in the water outside a swimming pool or outside of the tub these days? Okay, Old Sangatan devotees, am I right? You go and bathe in the river, the lake. And, okay, and you, you, you may scoop up something, and not intentionally picking up anything, but something comes in your hand along with the water. This is what happened with King Satyavrata Muni. He picked up some water, and there was a little fish. And unique about this fish is that he was talking. <laughs> I think that maybe that's where cartoons came from, the story. <clears throat> there are many talking animals in our Vedas, talking monkeys, talking snakes. Um, they're very advanced beings. And so in this case, the Lord, who has no limitations, can speak like anything. And what was his message to the king? He said, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I need some, a bigger place. Can you help me with that? 
So the king went to a larger body of water, and the, the fish expanded, and then that wasn't good enough. The river wasn't good enough. Then to another body of water, a lake. That lake wasn't, finally ended up in, in the ocean. And so that's something that not an ordinary fish can do. What is it? Is the blue whale? That's the biggest of all whales. Am I right? Any whale, whale gurus here? Uh, anyways, they, they're pretty huge fishies. <clears throat> the Lord decides to uh, take on this massive form and uh, do something mysterious like he always does. I think most people here, we, we're, we're human beings. We're used to being on the ground. We're land creatures. But isn't it a fact that we've been very, very intrigued in the last few decades with all the explorations that have gone down in the depths of the ocean of what goes on down there. There's some really weird-looking fish down in the ocean, some very majestic fish. There's angelfish. There's barracudas. There's, of course, everyone has fear for the, for the sharks. And Krishna even identifies as the shark in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, amongst aquatics, I am the shark. Oh, so many varieties. In fact, they're coming up with every day there's new species. I'm talking about in the scientific world. <clears throat> but nobody has ever come up with this kind of fish. And Prabhupada used to talk about Timingal fish. Uh, they're fish that swallow whales. So you have to be pretty big. You probably have to have a pretty big appetite. <laughs> <clears throat> so unique about this fish is that he has no limitations. And there is a story about his saving the Vedas during a time of flood, which is somewhat akin to the story of Noah's Ark, which some of us who have come from a Christian background used to marvel at this question. We'd scratch our head, is, it, is this a real story? Is it? There's one time when I was on a, one of the marathon walks I, uh, across Canada, and I was walking in uh, Saskatchewan. It's a province in the, what you call the Midwest. And there was a fellow who pulled over. He was in a suit. He was in a pickup, but he pulled over and said, would you like a ride? He said, well, I'm not taking any rides. I'm walking across the country. Oh, really? What's it for? So then we start talking, make friends. And he said, well, you know, I'm dabbling with Buddhism these days. And uh, I sometimes gravitate back to my Christianity, my roots. But I'm not sure about some of the stories. I'm not sure what to make of some of the stories. And I said, you mean like the story of the guy had the big boat and he brought in a male giraffe and a female giraffe and a male elephant and they all got on the boat together and then there was a big flood and, and then they were saved and then they, the, the flood subsided and, you know, that you mean stories like that? I said, yeah, exactly that kind of story. Exactly. I said, well, you, if you think you got far-fetched stories in the Bible, you should check out our books. I said, and he goes, Really? Really? <laughs> and uh, so where we were going with in the dialogue was that, you know, whether you want to take these stories as mythological or not, it's not that important. It's the essence behind the story that's important. And Prabhupada did give answers like this along this line. And he said, it's, it's the essence. And the essence is something we call bhakti. It's devotion. So after hearing about the story, of the fish. Aren't we endearing the fish? Don't we become close? Doesn't, don't fish mean more than just something that some people in Bengal eat or in other parts of the world or 
Chinatown, you know. <clears throat> Something, you know, suddenly fish take on a different meaning. The Lord is connected with this species. And he's come to help to save the Vedas. So, And why are the Vedas important to us? But I just said, Aham Veda Vidya, Vedanta Grid Veda Vidya, the purpose of knowing the Vedas is to understand the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Divine, Krishna. He is to be understood. And it is he who can bring about the ultimate peace to all of us. So since this verse lists a few things about Krishna's position uh, with respect to being the friend, being the super soul, etc., etc., this might bring us to a verse from the Bhagavad Gita, Oktaram Yagya Tapasang. Sarvaloka Maheshwaram Suridam Sarvabhutanam Yakvamam Shantimrichiti. So Prabhupada describes this verse as the verse which expresses the peace formula for everyone. Shantimrichiti. So how so? First of all, Bhogdaram Yagya Tapasang. Krishna is the beneficiary of all of our offerings. Whatever we like to do, whatever we like to give away, whatever austerities we perform. Chapter 9, Bhagavad Gita, should be done as an offering unto Krishna. He's the beneficiary. And what's nice about the Krishna program is whenever you know, he receives, he always turns something, he always gives something back in return. It's totally reciprocal. That's Krishna's program. It's a two-way street. Because, you know, I think the mind, the material mind at least, always asks the question, well, if I get involved in your program, your Krishna stuff, what do I get out of it? So I just have to give and give and give. When does one receive? So the program is one does receive. And uh, I guess the best verse to, for expressing that is in terms of Krishna's giving, sarvadharaman prityaja moksha He gives moksha. He takes away all your pop. Takes away your pop culture too, because we're all a little bit contaminated. And pop meaning meaning sin takes your pop, which is the drink, pop culture, and your pop sin. Actually, taking soft drink is pretty innocent compared to some of the sins that we have committed in our past. So he takes all these, he absorbs all of these things, and then he awards you moksha, gives you freedom, and everybody wants that. So that's a good deal. Secondly, Sarvaloka uh, Maheshwaram. Sarva loka, all, sarva all, loka places, Maheshwaram, controller. He's the owner, controller of all the real estate, all the planets that we are talking about. Whether it's Surya, Chandra, now they say there's many, many suns. You know, there's a claim, many suns, many moons, many, many planets. And who is the proprietor, the Supreme Lord? Just that acknowledgement means we're going in the direction of becoming peaceful people. We're letting go. We're not having this false, let's say, proprietorship. And then lastly, he is the supreme friend of all living beings. How so? Well, I'll tell you, you know, when Srila Prabhupada came to Canada, to Toronto, and uh, he went on a morning walk, which he did so often, uh, he asked, what is that sign? And the sign was with a dog, kind of like the outline of a dog, and a little pile behind him. And the caption is, stoop and scoop. 
How did you have those signs here? Stoop and scoop. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. Anyways, our dogs poop over there. And um, so Prabhupada asked, what is this? And then Brahmananda Swami, at the time, he said, Prabhupada, this means when you walk your dog, you and he sort of you know, showed it, you bend down and you scoop up poop, pick it up. And then Prabhupada just had a good laugh. He had a good laugh and he said, that is the difference between us and them. Meaning them, those people who spend much time with their dogs. So Prabhupada actually explained that a man who loves his dog, the master of the dog, loves his dog so much that when the dog goes for the walk and he has to stop and do his business, do his doo-doo, then uh, out of love, the master will stop and pick up the prized jewels, gems, <laughs> put in a bag. It's very funny when you go for a japa walk sometimes. It just from a distance you see people in a park. It just looks like everyone's got a bead bag in their hand. But it's something else. <laughs> so Srila Prabhupada actually explained that the, the, the master of the dog does this out of love for his dog. So, similarly, Krishna as Paramatma is accompanying the living being, the individual Atma, traveling with him or her, and going through the different forms of life. And, you know, when we we get on with our business, and whether it's the call of nature or anything else that we may do, which is mundane, the Lord agrees to stop with us and be there. Like sometimes people, they have a very boring job. You know, the parking lot, you get people in there, I don't know how they can do it. I just couldn't do it. You know, and, you know, sitting at a desk or like people at customs or just giving directions this way. I don't know these sedentary jobs. I, I can't understand it. How people could do it. be very boring. The Lord agrees to sit down with the soul who's in some little box all day long. You know, I mean, he has to be loving us. <laughs> and why is he there in the in the first place? Apart from loving us, well, I mean. He's waiting, giving us a chance. When are you going to turn around and look at me? When are you going to offer something maybe? Or as I'm offering myself to you, could you perhaps offer yourself to me? No, he's waiting. He's, 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 he's waiting. It's a big wait. And so that's all. That's the point about getting to the essence. It's love. It's bhakti or prema or rasa. You know, We have different words to describe these things. And really it means opening up your heart. The best way to do this is Sankirtan Yajna. The best way to do this is chanting Krishna's name. And then delivering Krishna in the form of books. It's the best thing. Many of us have gathered from different parts of North America to uh, discuss how we can do things better. How we can deliver Krishna. And there shouldn't be any meeting that goes on, goes by, without us talking about how we can improve the delivery of Krishna through his books, through his words, and so on. Like that's really why we've come together. And you know, we are here to butt our heads and to be like a little bit of a think tank. A certain portion of our meetings are spent in solving problems and putting out fires, and that's what can you do about it? That's life. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, putting out fires, but it's also meetings are a lot about starting fires, you know, getting 
getting things going and getting ourselves going, putting the fire under ourselves so we'll get moving, encouraging each other. Taking a stab at uh, one of the things that we suffer from is isolationism, isn't it? Unless if you're an avid on, on the Internet kind of person, checking things out with devotees. But nothing matches us coming together physically and talking to each other, seeing each other in the flesh and seeing each other's emotions, getting excited and having kirtan together. It's very hard to do that over the Internet. You get excited to watch people in the kirtan and just look at it. You have to be part of it. So there's a difference between devotional service, which is, let's say, beginner's program, novice program, where we're following rules and regulations, and the service of acting very spontaneously and doing things out of love, doing because it's just a lot of fun. We have a good time. We do have a good time. The essence of love, or what comes out of love, is just it's fun. It's just pleasurable. It just startles me. It just surprises me why more people cannot get into this. Can't They don't want to sing and dance. And, and, you know, people are stuck in a rut. That's really what the problem is. And, uh, you know, what I kind of like about this story here is that because devotees are kind of broad-minded and uh, understanding the need to, to move around, and indeed we are moving. And indeed, the fish here, Matsya, he does move around. He gets moved around. And he also expands his consciousness, or, or he expands himself. And devotees also, uh, well, we find that there's a need to broaden our horizons and come up with new, fresh new ideas on how to spread Krishna consciousness and not necessarily be stuck and frozen in a time warp of 1967 or something like that. No, it's a different age, it's a different era, it's a different century, and it's even even a different millennium from the time when Prabhupada was with us. So people have changed. Our product doesn't change. Maybe our packaging needs to change a little bit. We need to look at the packaging. Because I know these days when you get a gift, and once in a while I get a gift, somebody offers me a new pair of shoes, and it comes in a fancy bag with handles on it. But 20, 30 years ago, all packages had wrapping around it with an incredible amount of tape. And you'd have to spend you know, half the time just getting it all out and unraveling it, and then it'd be in a box, perhaps. And then, you know, but you know, the, the, the wrapping is different now, and it's changed. And people, that's the way we are, people change the... The, the clothing of today is different than the clothing of 20 years ago and that 40 years ago. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'll, I'll, you know, I can give you my opinion, but that doesn't matter. The point is that the change is on. Change is on. So we have to change also with the public and go for these paradigm shifts. And uh, that's why, and you have to see what fits. The last word is benefits. So, uh, doing something that's benevolent and it fits. Sometimes we say, I, you know, say I give a class and I gave a class, but yeah, did anybody listen? Was everybody sleeping? Or I just, I went out and I distributed books. Okay, did you distribute any? Well, not really. Well, maybe explore your technique. What's wrong? Or um, you know, whatever it may be, whichever way we're presenting Krishna.
consciousness. We have to look very good at that and see what is the rate of success in terms of receptivity. And that's what we have to look at. And uh, I really didn't get a chance to look at all the agenda items on this weekend's program, and maybe that's a fault on my part. But um, I would say that's what's behind the leader's minds, how we can present Krishna consciousness in a way that's very palatable to people's ears and their eyes and so on like that. And we must ask ourselves the question, are we ready to make some adjustments in order to make and allow for people to be more receptive to the product of Krishna? Krishna, of course, is not just the product. He's the source and he's the product. He's everything for us. And it's our business to try to deliver. So we are part of the Hare Krishna movement. That we need to be moving. And it means it's your move. Hare Krishna. Are there any questions or comments? I just like doing the charade part. <laughs> Thank you very much for the nice class. Maharaj, uh, I wanted to ask, like, the, as you said, the, the product remains the same and the packaging changes. And then similarly, there's another thing. It says uh, the principle remains, the application can change. Hmm. But sometimes it's really hard to differentiate between the principles and the application. Just like chanting is the principle, but then Valmiki, like, he... he when he was told, like, he was not directly asked to chant the name of the Lord, but Mara. So, it's, for me, it's very difficult sometimes because everybody is different and, and it's like, you're different from different cultures and everything. And then, like, a normal action, uh, a cultural thing for one person can be an offense for another cultural mm-hmm. person. So, so, what brings in the... What what keeps what should keep the devotees? Yeah, together? I think that's really a good point you bring up. So, like, say for instance, in our movement, like any other community, you have right wing and left wing people, right? So the right wingers tend to be very conservative and no change, no, you know, very pizza like fire, no, no change. And then you have those persons who are very left wing. They're extremely liberal. They wanted to go really wild in left field. I guess what we have to you have to consider these you know, two extremes and try to bring something down the middle. Down the middle of the road is sattvagun, mode of goodness. Think, act, and work and speak in the mode of goodness. And, uh, you know, the, let's say the answer will come when you weigh the scale. You go both ways and let's bring it into the middle and then you can keep this party basically somewhat happy and that camp also somewhat happy, isn't it? Because if it's very hard to choose sometimes between two extremes. So run down the middle. We all know that you know, Satvagun is the plateau or the springboard from which we can develop our Krishna consciousness and where Krishna consciousness becomes extremely profound. And so that's what we have to sort of pedal along in, in the mode of goodness, that kind of thing. It means to be very thoughtful, you know, analyze it very carefully, look at pros and cons, don't become too hasty. And you know what? The tendency amongst right and left wingers is that they're very attached to their position. They don't want to sway. So it always requires you know, something to come in the middle to help it out. And I believe 
that's what Prabhupada wanted from our GBC members and, and leaders in general, is that those are the persons that make the big decisions and the ones that are in a position to hear from different directions and some other bring it into the middle and bring it into the truth. And, um, and you know, generally you'll get satisfaction. Does that answer the question okay? I hope it wasn't too much of a like an airy-fairy kind of answer, but I have just found that, you know, if you think in the mode of goodness and don't be too hasty, not too quick to decide, take the time. Let's say, let's go to a sour time in our society after Prabhupada passed away. Had we taken some time to act in the mode of goodness, to sort a few things out with regards to tattva, this tattva, that tattva, guru tattva, we might have spared ourselves a little bit of trouble. But, you know, we are men of passion and, you know, we moved very swiftly in and, you know, made a few moves and decided this is the way it's going to be. And had we just been a little more analytical or brahminical about the whole thing, about the whole scenario at the time, then uh, we'd have saved ourselves some trouble. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I was just going to say about amazing stories because you were comparing the Christians and the Bhagavatam. You know? <laughs> but if you look at what the modern physicists and cosmologists, you know, the, the, the astronomers, what they believe, you know, parallel universes, dark holes, I mean, uh, the whole quantum, the, the, it's just amazing. I mean, we have, if you were to put it on a pan balance, we have some fantastic stories. But they also have equally fantastic stories. It's just a question of which fantastic story you're going to believe. Because the fact of the matter is we live in a fantastic universe. Mm -hmm. Mystic power is all around us. They define it one way, we define it in another. So it's not that we believe fantastic stories and on the other side, hey, I'm a pragmatist, I'm a scientist, I'm a realist. No, you have as many fantastic stories that everything came from nothing. You want to start with a fantastic story. <laughs> all right, Krishna. Right. And it's not only fantastic stories are far-fetched, but it's also the language. They have a very funny language for everything. Just like, what is that? And they wear funny clothes, you know, in the lab, and their hair is usually funny. <laughs> and we're glorifying his lotus feet. <laughs> Well, at least we're forced to look at him up, up and down and all sideways and you know, look at his image you know, to find out where it is. Krishna consciousness is very much you know, a finding game. You know, let's, let's find Krishna. Let's look for him. Where is he? Is he behind the bush? Is he on the bank? You know? Where are his feet? It's all about look, finding his feet. That's what it narrows down to. Thank you. Anybody else? Hi, Krishna. Welcome to Dallas Maharaj. I am. Thank you. Sucharya, my dear god sister, way back from Toronto, 1973. I was wondering about these incarnations of the Lord, starting from Varaha, Nishringadev, Vamandev, and now this Matsya incarnation. When the Lord was speaking, would he speak in Sanskrit? Was that like the main language? And if so, when, this, when the earth was Bart Varsha, there was one language. And if so, when did all the languages start to happen, a change? 
I'm not a linguist or, a, uh, let's say, a guru in terms of languages, but I can bet you I'm, I, I write, you'll catch me saying this rightly so. I say it probably wasn't in English, <laughs> um, which is a conglomerate of so many languages. English is old German. It's a lot of French. It's, and there's a, quite a bit of, you know, Indo-Hindi background in there as well. But um, uh, the language in the Devanagari script from the Sanskrit, uh, this is what this is the source of, of our the tales that are told, as far as as far as I'm to understand. And the other part of the question was the last part. Just that the Sanskrit language was predominant while the, the earth was Bard Varsha. Right. 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 And then. I guess it's probably a history question more than a Bhagavatam question. Yeah, yeah, sure it is. But how Definitely did all is. the devotees uh, in their different lands and situations change? Because in the in the Nectar Devotion, um, Krishna is called the expert linguist, and he understands all languages. He even speaks the language of the birds. So I'm just curious how all these languages... Well, Srila Prabhupada does credit uh, Parashiram for creating a migration of people from the cradle of the world, which is India, and uh, from the, the, the core of, of, of existing civilization, people spread out because Parashuram intimidated all these different, let's say, warriors and uh, all, all the tribesmen that went with them. And then, like just like we were talking about earlier, you know, when you're isolated, you, you can go off course a little bit when you're very, very distant from you know, where you came from, from your roots. So this is probably what happened. Many different languages shaped up and uh, came as a result of people moving away from uh, the motherland of India, where, uh, which is where this is the pure, this is the pure culture. That's how it started. So in time, time wears things down, and also distance factors there. So people start to take on, speak differently. What is it like, like in America? People who lived in the hills. They just came up with a very different kind, y'all kind of, you know, language, you know. And if you go up to Canada, like, eh, you know, like, just read from the Bhagavatam, eh? So, you, yeah, it's a different kind of, as a result of being separated, pulled in different directions, being removed from where the uh, essential culture has been established. Uh, having come from Indian background and language was my one of the favorite topic growing up. Uh, so my mother tongue is a Gujarati and I lived in an area called Surat and 30 kilometers away, that's hardly 17-18 miles, my maternal uncle lived and the way they spoke and we spoke, we would make fun of them all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's only 30 kilometers, okay, today is they commute. The present day, like from Surat to Nausari, it used to take us like a couple of hours and big headache and you know, my parents. Nowadays, everything is very instant. So those difference in a language is vanishing. That's the first point I want to make mm -hmm. because of this internet and TV and radios and media and all. But there was a distinct difference the way we spoke about certain things and, and the way they said. Mm -hmm. However, all these Indian languages originated from Sanskrit. Pretty much all the language, I know four languages at least, and a lot of the words are just coming from Sanskrit. And I have also learned Sanskrit growing up in a school. 
So when I look back or read Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavatam and all, I can easily understand the Sanskrit and, and those other vernaculars what we have. So I strongly believe that the original language was Sanskrit and somehow or other people who moved into different area, they developed their own dialect and you know the, the fonts and other things and uh, they come up with some new varieties. So some of the languages are only 1000 years, 2000 years year mm -hmm. older. Hindi on the other hand is only 200 years old or even younger than that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Good. So it Thank makes you. the world very colorful and interesting because of the fact that so many languages and our job is to try to learn some of those languages so that we can reach out to people. Anything else? I appreciate very much your attention. And thank you very much. Srimad Bhagavatam ki and Srimatsya Avatar ki Srila Prabhupada ki.